Uh, hello. 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 How's it going? Good. Great. Folks, we're back. We are back. We're back, baby. For now. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) until the holidays continue to make our schedules hellacious. Yes. Yes. That's a fun word. I like that word. (laughs) But we're back for now. For right now. Yes. This episode. Oh my gosh. But do you know what's going to happen when we come back again? The best part of the year. End of year. End of year. (laughs) Oscar season. Oscar season. I got like three more movies that I want to see. I can't wait to just be so mad at everything. You know what? I just cannot wait for another day in the neighborhood to win Best Picture. I saw that. Do you want me to talk about it now or save it for later? We can talk about it now. Um, Well, hang on. Whoa, 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 wait. Well, let's do do the thing first and then we'll let you do it. The thing is this, people. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this year podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Great. Little sniffly, but I'm good. Oh, make sure you sniffle right into the microphone. I'll, I'll do my best. That'd be fantastic. Okay. Uh, to Becca's right and to my left, due to the circular nature of our table, is Sid. Hey. The traitor to our cause and the betrayer of my trust uh, for going to see Another Day in the Neighborhood and supporting that film. Okay. Here's the thing. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> and there were really no other movies to watch. So... That's what happened. And? It was fine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just because I didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers and like the... You didn't? I didn't. Oh my gosh. So I don't know if like I just like the nostalgia didn't really work at all for me or help the movie, but it was boring. Like the last 20 minutes were fine, but it was pretty boring. I feel like Mr. Rogers has to be the kind of guy with a secret, right? Like nobody's that genuinely nice. There were no big secrets in this one. I mean, he's only the side character. Sure. Um, like he, Tom Hanks is fine, but I don't like. I mean, I don't really know Mr. Rogers, so I can't really say if it's a good performance of Mr. Rogers. A good imitation. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was fine. Okay. That's really all I can say about it. Okay. Speaking of, the Oscar predictions are starting to roll in, folks. And it's looking like it it could shape up to be a fairly interesting year. Um, Only one movie I was not even aware of that seems to be a frontrunner. Apparently, uh, Renee Zellweger is like frontrunner for lead actress for playing uh, Judy Garland. Yeah. Which I have no interest in seeing, honestly. I just, I'm, 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 I'm over the biopics. I'm over them. Yeah, I mean, really, like, the biopics are only for like best actor it's not for best picture sure because they're just i mean like yeah they're good performances but there's i don't know i don't really feel like there's too much substance to it i watched a youtube video a while ago i don't remember who did it but it was pretty much like they were comparing maybe it was patrick willems um comparing uh bohemian rhapsody and they were just talking about like bio picks and how like they're just like they don't work super well let me mm. let me try and find it and okay yeah and it's just a shame like i mean it, it's good to only see one biopic as like an actual front runner 
because this really has been a spectacular year for like original film. You know, you have things like Parasite and The Lighthouse and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman. All of these just fantastic movies. Um, so it was Patrick H. Willems and it was the broken formula of music biopics. That's quite a good video. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, current front runners are... Um, I just lost it. What's what's the best picture front runner? Do you remember? I don't. I mean, there's a lot. There's there's a website that's really useful uh, for these kind of things. It's called goldderby.com. Have you ever heard of it, Sin? Mm-hmm. Um. And they they track basically uh, critics' predictions for um each. What am I saying? For each category. Uh-huh. So right now, the front runner for Best Picture is The Irishman. Most really? most critics are predicting that with Scorsese for Best Director, um, Supporting Actress, Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Um, what am I saying? How do I even how do I even use this website on mobile? I've never seen it on mobile. Um Odds and rankings, Oscar. Here we go. Experts. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, well, but here's the thing. So, out of expert predictions, um, the Irishman currently has 16 predicting a win, with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood having nine, Parasite having two, and then it kind of peters off from there. Um, Let's see. Best director Scorsese seems like he might be a lock with Quentin Tarantino and Bong Joon-ho being kind of the challengers. Um, let's see. Renee Zellweger is the front runner by a wide margin for Judy. 25 predicting her to win to the second place three for Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Wow. wow. Um, so that seems like it might be a lock. Uh, best actor Joaquin Phoenix uh, in Joker, 16, predicting a win to second place Adam Driver with eight. So, could There's be some competition there. leading actors that I'd be totally fine with winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah. Supporting actress Laura Dern in Marriage Story, 21, predicting to win uh, to second place Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers with seven. Um, let's see. Interesting things. This is the one that pisses me off. Brad Pitt seems like a straight up lock for once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, 24 predicting him to win to second place Al Pacino in with two in the Irishman. 24 first place two second place. Wow. Yeah. Um, we can talk about this a little bit more during other topics, but I think that this year Joe Pesci in the Irishman totally just eliminates the need to even have a category like, dude gives one of the craziest performances i've seen in a long long time um let's see what else interesting uh 1917 uh, they could just hand it the cinematography oscar now yeah i mean i haven't even seen it but <laughs> probably it's roger deakins doing a single take 26 predicting it to win to second place once upon a time in hollywood zero <laughs> <laughs> um Let's see. Anything else interesting? Editing The Irishman 15 to 1917's 7. 
I guess I need to watch The Irishman. Probably. Um, and production design looks like a lock for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, I, I would obviously love for Parasite to win, but no issue with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, best score seems like a lock for 1917. And as I was doing, I was putting together a lot of my Oscar predictions for this year, like going through the categories and saying, you know, these are the ones that I favor for this category. Score, oddly enough, was one that I had a really hard time with. I don't know that there's been a ton of standout scores this year. Mm-hmm. Score is always hard, hard for me. Yeah. I mean, last year it was easy. It was like, oh, Suspiria. Boom, done. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know that any movie has had the music play that heavily into it. So I don't know. Uh, sound seems like a lock for 1917, which makes sense. War movies always do well. Animated feature, Toy Story 4, absolutely going to take that home. Um, international film, let's just not even bother. It's going to be Parasite. Yep. And that's everything. So uh, it, here's the thing. These are all great movies. Like, it's 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 been a fantastic year for movies um we've just like just seen people killing it film after film after film after film and um i mean obviously i would love to see like lighthouse and parasite sweep things and midsummer bring up third place just because that's my ranking for the year right now uh but you know what if once upon a time in hollywood takes some oscars i'm fine with that if the irishman takes some oscars well deserved marriage story well deserved 1917 probably well deserved i haven't seen it yet but i can't imagine that movie being bad no no i don't know i don't love war movies but as we (laughs) just watched one oh we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into that oh i know i'm not but yeah, um, so we'll we'll be coming back. I guess the thing that led into this is that we will have our end of year wrap ups coming very soon. Um, I really only have I want to see Uncut Gems, I want to see 1917, and I want to see Bombshell. And I think that I would probably be good after that to do my end of year rankings. I also want to see Little Women. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Give Florence Pugh an even better year. Oh, I love her so much. Did you see Fighting With My Family? Yeah, that was the first thing I saw her in. She's okay. actually really good. That's what it. I've heard. And also, um, the other pilot in Dunkirk, Collins, is in that movie too. And he's really good in it too. Hmm. Hmm. Well, cool. Um, and then obviously, after the Oscars actually air... Well, no, we'll do we'll do it like we did last year. I forgot. We'll do after the nominations are announced. We'll do our run through and arguments over what should win. Sounds good. But hopefully, this is what I'm hoping here is that there's just too many good movies this year for the Academy to be able to pull a green book. Right? Hopefully. We can only pray and fast and donate <laughs> that we don't get another green book because my heart can't take it anymore. i mean what's our what's our make white people feel good about their racism movie this year I would, it, would it be I don't know. What's, what's the the one with uh, the lawyer one where jamie fox goes to prison oh. and what's that called just mercy yeah is that what it's called i would probably say there was one that came out like in the beginning of the year with like sam rockwell where he was like a clans member and um anyway it didn't do very well I but i that. could definitely see it like coming in that's what i'm saying like we we got we need to be able to predict now what our make the old white academy members feel good about their racism yeah. movie is 
I just need to talk myself down now so I won't be disappointed in a few months. <laughs> Here's the thing. If if any of the front runners for Best Picture win it, I would be fine with that. Um, we'll talk about this more at the end, obviously. But The Irishman is a staggering film. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is incredible. If Parasite manages an upset, I will... I will lose Looney Tunes mind. jump through my ceiling. Like... <laughs> Well, and even like you said, like the like tier two movies that are still really, really great. I'm okay with any of those making an appearance too. Like yeah, for real. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I'm fine with Joker, that. Joker. Yeah. Like there's tons of great movies. It's incredible that we're calling Joker a tier two I movie know, this really year. I know, it's really Because that movie's not. fantastic. Yeah. But like it's just one that we haven't mentioned in all these other really great movies. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we'll talk about that more at the end during other topics because we got to get into our main meat today (laughs) the meat we're talking about uh christopher nolan's 2017 uh hard underrated dunkirk yes directed by christopher nolan written by christopher nolan filmed by hoitia van hoitima starring uh tom hardy killian murphy mark rylance uh harry styles Barry Cogan, um, I just lost his name. Um, what's his freaking name? The guy on the boat. The the dad. The dad. Yeah. Um, you already uh, said him, Mark Rylance. No, Mark Rylance is, is the the, the commander. Hold on. No. No, Kenneth Branagh is the yeah. the commander. That's right. Mark Rylance is the dad. Yep. Fantastic. Great. Uh, everybody's in this movie. Yeah. Um, but no women. Sorry. There are women. There are two speaking women. Anyway, I know it's a war movie. I. This movie's good. What would you have liked him to do? I no, like I. I understand <laughs> that this is a war movie, and that women were not particularly a big role in the war. And that's all I will say. All right. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it's going to go with the uh, Dunkirk is sexist angle, I guess. I am not. <laughs> I'm just saying that they were I just understand. all the nurses back on land. Yeah. And we were never really on land in like, the movie. I'm not, I'm not trying to be like woke, like social justice warrior. You sound pretty woke. I mean, I am pretty woke. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not mad at this movie. I guess I'm just like mad at Hollywood in general. At 1940s England? Yeah. I uh, 1940s <laughs> England, you can kiss my ass. <laughs> All right, folks. Let's dive into it. Uh, here's how the show's going to work. Uh, we're going to talk about the movie. We're going to do some hot takes. Uh, then Sid will have curated the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia, potentially splicing in a bit of her own social wokeness. Um, following that, I'm sure we'll have a fairly deep discussion of other topics. We won't mention every movie that has been watched, I assume, because I've watched a lot of movies. Um, but we will mention the best of the best. And that's going to be our show for today. So... Let's get started with some hot takes. I don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Becca, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Spicy hot take. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I love this movie. I loved it the first time we saw it in theaters. I loved it the second time we saw it in theaters. And I loved it now. This is my third time. And I love it, like, just as much as I did the first time. And I do feel like I'm really proud of myself because the first time I watched it, I feel like I understood it really well, like, better than most people. Because a lot of people, I think, were really confused coming out of Dunkirk the first time because it's it seems very all over the place. But I feel like I I followed the movie really well the first time I saw it and then loved it even more every time since. And I don't know, it's just, like, it manages to, like, stay intense for the entire movie, but it's not, like, too much for me. But I still feel, like, just on the edge of my seat the entire time and very, very engaged. And I love it when a movie can do that. And I think it's just incredible. The acting is incredible. It, like, really, really draws you in. The cinematography, the editing, editing like, is amazing. And I will say that this is a movie that um, really showcases the editing and like helped me understand more what why editing is important to a film. Funny that you bring that up because this film won three Academy Awards. The yes. first of which was editing. Yes. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Sid, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Spicy hot take number two. Um... Anyway, this movie's really good. Um, I feel like the first time I watched it, I, like, was kind of passively watching it. I watched it at home, and, like, I had heard people, like, didn't love it, and a lot of people were confused by the timeline. I don't really understand why people were super confused. I mean, like, it's not all a linear story, but it's, like, three different stories being told at the same time. Um, And even if I didn't really understand the timeline, I don't think it would have affected anything in my views of the movie um but I think it's honestly I feel like it's like a master class in just like sound editing and just editing in general and like I really can't think of anything that doesn't work for this movie because it just the whole thing is fantastic and everything is done super well and Harry Styles is he's amazing and that's all I have to say it's interesting you bring that up because this film won three Oscars. <gasps> which ones? The second and third of which were sound editing and sound design. What? What? Wow. I I think we should take over the Oscars. Yeah, probably. We absolutely should. Lighthouse every award. Okay. With the and little sp- with yeah, little sprinkling parasite. <laughs> I mean, no, we'll just we'll just bring up Robert Eggers and Bong Joon Ho, and we'll just have them like lady and the tramp every oscar statue <laughs> we'll just cut them in half for both of them there we go and then we'll give robert pattinson an hour and a half and we'll just say do whatever you want yeah. the stage is yours if you want to give a speech go for it if you want to do your one-man show go for it but robert pattinson the time is yours why don't we just throw up that's uh willem dafoe adam driver and joaquin phoenix that sounds great Let's see what they can do i want to have Actually, now this is what I want to have happen during the Oscars, right? Is I want to have, I want to line up Robert Pattinson, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and Adam Driver, and we'll bring up Willem Dafoe, and I want him to bestow Neptune's curse on okay. each of them individually. I just want to see him do that monologue over and over and over and again, then is what I'm saying. We have Florence Pooh come up 
and she has to choose which one to sacrifice. Oh my gosh. Yes. That'd be a, so great. A huge dress. That'd be fantastic. Ow. And guys. then Scarlett Johansson will come up and, di- and divorce all Divorce of each one of them? <laughs> Laura Dern will come up and just stand there and be amazing. <laughs> and then Scarlett Johansson will come up again and then... And she'll break up with... Um, Joaquin Phoenix over the phone because she's an AI. Oh yeah. This is a this is a little cinematic universe we're I building here, it. folks. Well, I was gonna mention wow. a JoJo Rabbit thing, but then it would have been a spoiler. She's so gonna come up and tie everybody's me. shoes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't wait for this. This is great. Tune amazing. in, guys. It's gonna be the best Oscars ever. <laughs> I didn't even worry about spoiling the lighthouse. Except for, I mean, I don't know if Neptune's curse is a lighthouse. Can you spoil the lighthouse? I feel like you know pretty much what's gonna happen. Not just, specifically, I mean, but like it, it goes. Crazy. Well, but even That's if you really... know what's gonna happen, you don't know what's gonna happen. Exactly. It's like, hey, here's two dudes, and this whole thing unravels over the course of an hour and a half. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks. Here we go. Dunkirk. My hot take is also fairly spicy. You guys ready for how spicy this hot take is? Sure. Dunkirk is not a perfect movie. But it's really damn close. Um, this movie is phenomenal. Uh, I saw it three times in the theater. And I'm disappointed that you never got to see it in the theater, Sid. That makes me a little sad. I know. Watching it this time around, like I would have loved to see this in IMAX. Yeah, one of the times I saw, just, I saw it once in IMAX. Even just regular movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty bummed I wasn't able to. Yeah. I saw it once in IMAX and twice regular. Uh, this is my fourth time watching it. The first time, I didn't really get the timeline. But again, it didn't really hinder my enjoyment of it. But I think that my appreciation for it has grown uh, each time since I have watched it. Um, I think that uh, this... It, 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 with any other director, it would be their most ambitious film. Mm-hmm. But Christopher Nolan made like Interstellar. But I think that this does what Christopher Nolan is really, really, really good at, but without shoving it down your throat as much as he does in some other films. And I love Interstellar, right? But like the whole speech with Anne Hathaway of like, love is what ties the universe together. Like that whole thing, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we would have gotten that. Like you you didn't actually have to say that, right? But this movie manages to be about so many of the themes that Nolan loves to explore um being you know just like the strength of humanity and like people's ability to be resilient in difficult situations and um just like selflessness and sacrifice he manages to explore all of these films that he spent an entire batman trilogy dissecting Mm -hmm. um as well as you know interstellar and to an extent inception um he 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 frequently explores these themes but he does it in such a a much more subtle way here because he's able to lean back a little bit more on just how visceral the film is Mm -hmm. And you guys are right. The editing is absolutely spectacular. The cinematography, real bummer. This came out the same year as Blade Runner. Yeah, I remember (laughs) we were talking like right before the Oscars and I hadn't seen Blade Runner 2049 yet. So I was like, oh, I bet like Dunkirk's going to win. And you were like, 
oh no, have you even? Oh. And, then you, and then you had a heart attack, and and then Roger Deakins won, and you came back to us. I came back, and it looks like he might win again this year. He deserves it. Come for on, like Roger. The Eighteen million times he's been nominated, right. and didn't win. Yeah, he deserves it. Um, but then uh, Nolan makes a lot of really kind of brave choices in that he the characterization in this movie is really really sparse you don't get a feel for like the history of any of these people but then you also almost feel like you know all of them and that's what i was gonna say is the strength of the screenplay right is he he knows what to have them say and when to get you inside of their heads and um yeah I'm going to get more. I'm, I'm, this is just going to launch me into a whole thing. So that's my hot take. Cut hot take. Cool. Into discussion. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Is Dunkirk a war movie? No. 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 I don't think it is at all. Yeah. And I think it's because of a number of very smart choices that Nolan made. Um, one, the enemy in this movie is never a human being. It is either time or some element, be it water or fire. And even when there are guns and bombs raining down, you never see a human being do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So even the bullets or the bombs or the enemy planes become forces of nature. I think of when Collins gets downed and he's struggling against his uh, to open his hatch right and the water is running in and that's just a man against nature right Uh and that's exactly how it feels with tom hardy tracking down the planes like he's not fighting a person it's a force of nature that he needs to overcome and i think that's such a smart decision because it makes the movie not about the war or even about the violence or about the battle itself but entirely 100 percent about these people's struggle against a apparently kind of unstoppable force, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's such a smart decision and it allows this movie to hit the emotional notes that it needs to without shoving them down your throat. Yeah. Oh, it's so, oh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's, um, like I know a lot of, people were kind of complaining that it wasn't as action filled as they were hoping um because it is marketed more as a war film um but i think even just like in the beginning like they start the movie like after the battle and it's just about like these guys trying to get home um and they honestly like never even talk about what just happened um so yeah i think this is thinking back to like some of the the war movies I have seen can't totally like identify with any of the characters because it's all just about them like you know shooting the bad guy and also I feel like with a lot of war movies like especially World War II like yeah Germany was not great but I also feel like this movie is you're telling me that Nazis were bad sorry to burst your bubble (sighs) (laughs) but like i feel like this one like like because it doesn't show them you can't really like i don't know i feel like it's almost like humanizing to them where like 
yeah they weren't great guys but also at the same time like a lot of them were just soldiers like doing what they were told so i feel like it 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 kind of i don't know shows that it's like not the individual like germans who were evil you know sure and i think that's a really smart thing as well when you talk about humanizing them right and it's it's really apparent in the way that they're talked about in the movie i don't think the word nazi is ever said right and they only say germans a couple of times Mm -hmm. but like how many world war ii movies are you where it's just oh these krauts are doing this and like you know they're throwing out the i I don't know if that's offensive to anybody anymore can we say kraut i'm not directing it at anybody it's a quote (laughs) from several movies but um i mean it was you know it's a racial slur that was used really heavily. They don't. They don't even talk about the enemy because, again, the enemy is not the Germans. Like the Germans are just a wall that are there. Yeah. Uh-huh. The enemy is time and the elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And those are much more relatable villains than yeah. a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there is an the overarching fear of the enemy throughout sure. the entire movie. Um, but you're right. It makes it feel like more stressful and more hopeless because it's like you can't just bring in the hero and shoot the water. Like, yeah. well, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, like, you can't kill the elements. Yeah, yeah, Jason Jason Bourne can come in and kill all the spies, and then there are no more spies, and you're fine. But like, what are you gonna do? Drain the ocean? Exactly. Like, like, so yeah, it like gives this air of like hopelessness, and. It just sets all of that up so well that it's like there's just 400,000 men stuck. And what are you going to do about it? Like, yeah. It's terrifying. (laughs) It is terrifying. And it's it's just so anxiety inducing. And Hans Zimmer, man, really just outdid himself with this one. Like, I don't even know, man. Like, the just the constant pulsing whether it be the ticking like an actual ticking but when there's no ticking there's a pulse going on kind of underneath and the fact that um i could be wrong about this i didn't notice a time prior to when the boats show up that we have anything other than um or i guess that we have any string instruments right it's all electronics and the there might be some horns i'm not sure but like the big siren sounds and everything like that mm-hmm. and then as soon as kenneth branagh sees the little boats coming out of the horizon um it switches to that string melody mm-hmm. i mean even that doesn't last very long but just the the way that everything works together to just make you feel so anxious and stressed mm-hmm. and it just puts you right in these characters shoes yeah, yeah, and even, like, we already mentioned, like, there's not a ton of shooting. Like, there's bombs and water and sinking and things like that. But, like, most of the movie is almost sitting around, sitting on a boat, sitting on the beach, and not even a lot of dialogue. Yeah. But you still are just, like, so into it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the music and the um, the pulsing, like you said to like get your heartbeat going because you're like always expecting something to happen even though they're just sitting around yeah except the planes every time every time it shows the planes it's intense but tis um 
Let's talk about performances a little bit. Because even with... All of them, they're all... Yeah, even with so little to work with, I think that people just do incredible work here. Like the the French guy, he doesn't talk at all. But he's just like, you can feel his fear in every situation. Mm -hmm. Well, and the way that him and um, Tommy... Yeah. Yeah. The way they like become really close without Mm -hmm. ever even speaking to each other. Yeah. They just understand each other and it's cool to watch that happen Mm -hmm. like they just communicate like when they first see like the wounded guy on the beach they just like look at it and they're both just like picking him up it's just like they don't have to say anything and then from there on out they're looking out for each other which is like the most accurate representation of like being a dude and making a new friend that i've ever seen combined with a life-threatening well sure but that's what i'm saying like you find you find one thing and it's like we're bros for life (laughs) (laughs) um and tom hardy like his face is literally covered for the majority of the movie but his eyes are so expressive and not just his eyes but his the physicality of it right like when he's even when he's like making notes and um you know marking down his fuel and stuff like that just his body language and how calm and confident he is throughout the whole thing like he is a reassuring presence i think for the audience because everybody else is losing their gosh darn minds (laughs) but like him and collins are just like these calm reassuring presences that like it'll be all right yeah um i guess to to jump a few I think the best one, though, is um, Mark Rylance gives just an absolutely staggering performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like the, the most, I guess, characterization that you get through dialogue is the, um, like, the, the dad and the son and the friend. Yeah. Because they're, like, really, I don't know. I feel like that one is more of a, like, a it's a decision for them to like go out and actually like help these guys the the other one is like all they have to do is survive and this one is like it's a bigger decision for them it's more of like a a moral decision um yeah mark rylance is great um what's the barry kogan yeah he's great he's he he needs to be in more movies i agree i've never not been blown away by him he was in uh killing of a sacred deer american animals he's in american animals yeah yeah, he did phenomenal. Um, but I think that Mark Rylance is just the beating heart of this film. Mm-hmm. And his face all the way through, just like... Again, you're just in his head because he's got this... I don't know how you like act layers of emotion like that, right? Like, how do you how do you consciously say... I'm going to contort my face in such a way that shows that I am terrified, but I'm trying to hide it. Like, how do you, how do you put that together? You know what I mean? No idea. And you're right. There's so many moments where just his face says just everything about what's happening right now. Yeah. Well, and again, to your point about that being a choice for them, or was that you that was saying that? I don't remember who it was. One of you two was talking, was, was, sorry, Sid, you were talking about how um, it's a choice for them mm-hmm. to go out and like, you know, Tom Hardy's a pilot and these guys are stuck on the beach. Like they're involved. Yeah. But like these guys, they choose, like the, the Navy just tried to requisition their boat. Like uh-huh. they, they could have just given them the boat from what I understood of it. Yeah. And they choose to go out 
But and one step further, George jumps on the boat yeah. right at the last second. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I don't know. I love just the the portrayal of the mindset at this point, right? Like they, it would have been so easy to have that be a big old scene where, Oh, George stows away and then shows up and he's like, no, I'm here to help. Yeah. But like, you know, he just gets on the boat and Mark Rylance is like, we're going to war. And George is just like, I'll be useful. Mm-hmm. And Mark Rylance is like, all right, let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the, I guess just the, the, the velocity with which that situation would have caused that generation to have to grow up and be adults. And also for the maturity of Mark Rylance's character to recognize that his son and George were prepared and needed, had an obligation to help out in that situation. And that he didn't try and say, no, you're too young. And like, because that could have been a point of contention is like, Oh, he's so young. And you know what I mean? Like we didn't even know how old he is until the very end when we see in the, in the newspaper. Right. But like, just the the whole way that he he portrays this character and as different things go wrong um just continuing on and never never giving up the way that he handles Killian Murphy's character mm-hmm. and just you know and and you see him essentially teach his son life lessons throughout the course of the film but without ever sitting down and being like now son here's the thing war is hell and this young man on our boat has PTSD. And so we need to do our best to make him feel good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like that is communicated to him. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes down to it, after George dies and Killian Murphy asks Peter if he's going to be okay. And Peter's like, yeah, he'll be fine. Like that moment just hits so hard because you've seen not only Peter, but uh, you know, Mark Raylance's characters just evolve over the course of this hour and 40 minutes. And like that that moment just hits so freaking hard and Killian Murphy again to give such a reserved performance like zero zero ego in that performance you know what i mean like he's a leading man he's a big deal and he's good friends with Nolan and he's been a big deal in Nolan's movies before and here he's a side character but he just he just owns it and like i said zero ego in that performance just does a just submits himself to the role and that's what it feels like everybody does here yeah, I was just going to say that because, honestly, almost everyone feels like a side character. Like, Yeah, that's true. I would say maybe Mark Rylance is probably has the most... Yeah, like Mark Rylance, Tommy, Tommy, and Tom Hardy. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. Even still, like they all just feel on an equal level because it's about all of them mm-hmm. and not just one of them. Yeah. yeah. And I love that about the film. Yeah, I mean, who would you nominate for best actor in this film? All of them. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like, I yeah. think they would all be nominated for supporting. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know who you would even... Because I learned this. Uh, production companies submit movies for specific categories, right? They have to define... They send, like, a, a screener and a four-year consideration. I learned this because A24 publishes theirs. Mm. And I guess more studios do, but I just stumbled upon A24s. Mm. And so, yeah, they say, like, four-year consideration, the lighthouse in the following categories. And they say, you know, best picture, whoever, best director, Robert Eggers, best yeah. actor, Robert Pattinson, best supporting actor, Willem Dafoe. So a lot of times it's the studios that will define who is lead and supporting. And I didn't know that. Yeah. They can't just be like, here's this movie. Choose what you think works. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense when you think about yeah. it. I just never and considered it. it. Um, Like I've heard um, 
like some movies they'll kind of i guess downgrade a role to supporting to increase the chance of winning um but yeah with this one i mean none none of the acting was nominated and i feel like it was probably because it was like they're all so good that we can't just choose one well and the academy tends to favor more show-stopping yeah Definitely. They so, don't like the really subdued. Yeah. So when I say that, when I say that, that they submitted themselves to the role, the Academy doesn't reward that. The Academy rewards people for uh, like really somebody taking over a film. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a little disappointing, but yeah. what do you do? Yeah. You just get mad. Yeah. I mean, there's been a few exceptions like Brie Larson in room. Uh-huh. Um, that was a very deserving win i think and a a very subtle performance Mm -hmm. but yeah um i was talking about this the last episode but like somebody did a retrospective of like here's all the winners and all the categories for the last 10 years like who's the best and the actor and actress ones were just like kind of a joke honestly Mm -hmm. because like they're all just so over the top yeah and when you put them all next to each other it's like goodness yeah give me somebody who like did more than just imitate a dead person yeah (laughs) I don't know. That probably has more to do with my bias than anything else. But yeah, that's all right. In any case, yeah, the, the the this movie just is so much more emotional than it has any right to be. I think mm-hmm. I get I get teary in this. Yeah, it, like I said, it it hits in all the places that Nolan's best films hit. Um, but it it gets you on just such a gut level because of like I said, how visceral it is. You don't have. You don't have Anne Hathaway there telling you, like, war is hell, but we need to support our countrymen, and and by doing so, we, you know, we we help out. You have Mark Rylance going out and doing it, or you have Tom Hardy running out of fuel and turning towards the enemy to shoot down the plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or you have Tommy stepping in front of the French guy when they're trying to throw him to the wolves. Like, you have these people doing these things, and it, it's... It, uh, to rephrase even it's not even like this movie comes off as super patriotic like it's not about being english right mm-hmm. like the, that comes into it a little bit when they're like hating on the french people or whatever but like like the movie's not patriotic it's not like you know pro england propaganda or anything like that it literally just is an example from history where people just were like really freaking badass and an actual miracle happened mm-hmm. and like it it's told in just such a way that like it actually comes off as inspirational and um, really real. And I keep saying this, but visceral, right? Mm -hmm. Like, again, I don't have a big emotional theme telling me like, well, Mr. Rogers sure was a good dude, right? Maybe we should all be nice to each other. And here are some kids singing to him on the subway so that you know how great he was. It's like, no, these are just people in really dire straits, never giving up. And just keeping going. And, like, that's inspirational. And I think it's also really good that they, yeah, like, it's watching, like, Mark Rylance and all of them, like, you're like, wow, that's awesome that they would go, just go pick these guys up in the middle of war. Um, And so you're, like, really inspired by that. And then you see Killian Murphy's character and you totally understand why he doesn't want to go back. Yeah. So I think it's showing the two different sides without being too explicit with it it's just like this guy has seen war and seen the hell of it he doesn't want to go back these guys they're young they haven't really seen it um but they're still gonna do it anyway yeah you know so it's it's showing that 
it it wasn't just like a one like they don't say it but i don't assume that mike Rylance was like i'm doing this no matter what i'm sure he had some reservations about going out there but it it just like shows you that this wasn't the yeah. as easy as they portray it to be sure well and he 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 does that so well there's so many times you think when um the couple that come to mind for me is when Killian Murphy tells him to turn around Mm -hmm. and he seems really dismissive, right? Like that's kind of the initial vibe is that he's like, no, we're not turning around. He just seems really dismissive of it, but it's like, he's not allowing himself to consider the possibility of turning around because he's crap at himself. You know what I mean? And then you think about after Collins goes down and they're really, you know, gunning to go get him. And Peter is like, dad, you got to watch the engine. Like this is, he's probably dead. It's whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, Mark Rylance finally turns around and just, you know, I hear you, Peter. Like, I get it, yeah, right? But, but like, but he could be alive. Yeah. And then that becomes even more meaningful when you think back, you know, when it comes to the end and you find out that his kid was killed um, flying planes. And you just, like, you see in his head, like, I owe it to this pilot to do everything I can to get him so that his parents, whoever they are, don't have to deal with what I did. And, like, his character just gets rounded out a lot through really subtle exposition throughout the course of the film. And he, he becomes just this intensely human figure. Mm-hmm. And I think he becomes like a really good representation of a lot of, you know, families and parents of the soldiers that like, not only did these soldiers have to be tough, like their families had to be too, you know, like this wasn't just a typical dad that you would picture now. Like, going off to war like his son died he knew what was going to happen and they all had to be tough like they all were made tough throughout the war so they just went and did it Mm -hmm. and i think that's a good representation of how of everybody else who went out on their boats as well like we just saw this one family but all the other families i'm sure were really similar well yeah when they finally pull up to the beach you see all the other ships and it's just a bunch of dudes in sweater vests Mm -hmm. like yeah, like one of the yachts, like the name was like something Mimosa. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I don't know, just subtly showing like how important it is uh, to keep our humanity and to just like go out and um, help people in time of need. Um, and I think kind of going back to um, Mark Rylance's like hesitation in some areas or his um deliberation not deliberation diligence oh diligence that's it um it's like when george is hurt and his son is like dad should we go back and like you can like really see that he like is kind of thinking about it and then he's just like there's like something bigger at cost and we need to go help yeah what does he say he says we've come so far yeah i think so. yeah yeah well and again you think about it and it's it's again knowing that his son was a pilot rounds that out so much more because the cost just keeps mounting right Mm -hmm. like you don't know if george is going to be okay he doesn't know if george is going to be okay in fact it's probably doubtful yeah but like i don't know i think that's such a great way to put it said the the need to keep our humanity right and i think that's why it's so important that this was while it is a historic event right like it did happen and it did happen to englishmen and it's important to celebrate the things that these Englishmen did, like 
it, it becomes so universal because of how nonspecific it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, oh, I guess how nonspecifically it's treated, right? And I think back to probably my favorite line of the Dark Knight trilogy, which is when uh, Batman tells uh, Commissioner Gordon, I don't remember the exact line, but he says something along the lines of sometimes people deserve to have their trust rewarded. And like, I think that's, an idea that Nolan carries through a lot of his films is that sometimes in life you trust something and it works out and that we deserve to have that happen as people. But I think this gives it the flip side of that coin that, you know, in, in Batman, it's like, no, people don't need to know that Harvey Dent was evil because they need to have this figure. Right. But you expand it to this movie and you think about, you know, sometimes people deserve to have their trust rewarded. These soldiers were trusting that somebody was going to come get them and they deserve to have that trust rewarded sometimes. But that trust being rewarded is oftentimes dependent on the hard work and sacrifice of other people. And the idea that, you know, again, just expounding on it, like these boys were out sacrificing for the homeland and for their freedom and, um, you know, to stop the, the spread of fascism. Um, but then when it came time, like, that sacrifice needed to be turned around. And, you know, somebody needed to sacrifice for them. And the idea that, like, yeah, your trust will be rewarded. But, like, when the time comes for you to reward somebody else's trust, like, you need to stand up and do it. So that's what I mean when I say this movie is, like, actually genuinely inspirational. <laughs> And not in like a, I don't know. It's it's not inspirational in a shallow way. It's like actually life affirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like they, Mark Rylance and uh, Peter could have been so mad at Killian Murphy for what he did. You know, like that could have been a whole thing. Yeah. Well, again, I, I think I think just generally compassion and empathy are yeah. also two other huge themes that are carried throughout this, right? And I think that Kenneth Branagh's character is is one of the the biggest examples of that, right? He could be a total hard ass, but he comes across as very human throughout it. And I think it could have been very easy, especially the way the script was written, for for Kenneth Branagh's character to be kind of just an afterthought. And just like there because oh we need somebody in charge, but he manages to to humanize himself a lot as well. And you see, similar to Mark Rylance's performance, you see the stress and the anxiety build up in him, especially when the ship sinks in the mole, and you know the, the ship is going down. And his thing is, you know, push it off. We can't let it sink here. Like he feels a responsibility for these boys and. You see when the ship starts showing up and he's walking down the dock shouting out to people, where are you from? Thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. And then at the very, very end, you know, they're all gone and he still feels this responsibility for this area of the war. And he says, you know, I'm staying for the French. And like, that's not his people. He's not a French commander. But again, just that idea of like no this is my time to do something important and i'm not going to run away from it yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i'm sorry i'm getting really into this i love this movie so much <laughs> it really is so good um just to step away from themes and talk more about the film itself i guess becca's bringing up craft i know what (laughs) 
Well, I just, I don't know. I, I loved the editing. I know I said that in my hot take and we kind of already talked about it's it. It's phenomenal. But it just like, it works so well. And specifically, it's mostly the scenes with um, the planes where we get a lot of like foreshadowing because that's one hour before. So it's the closest to the actual moment where they go pick them up. Sure. So when we see the planes coming over, we see them pass over the boat. We see them pass over, um, what are they? The destroyer that well, yeah, fallen. Yeah, for the first from the first time that we see the planes, they see that ship that we see get sunk at you know an hour twenty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I love all of that because we see it then immediately. We see that it's all going to that these ships are going to sink. We see um, when Collins crashes the boat coming towards him so we know he's going to be okay and all of these things we see it all happen before it actually happens and i love the way that's set up and it takes you a couple of times of those scenes happening to really put it all together but i think that it does two things one i think i think you're right from from a story perspective it's really cool but just from a i guess a production design perspective right as far as setting up the context of this like specifically with the plane scenes you're right it 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 paints this really dire picture right from the start, right? Like before things really, really, really go to shit, like we get this dire picture because by the plane, by the time the planes get there, like everything's already gone down, right? And so like we get this, there are sunken ships and there's this movement in the water and there's all these things happening that we haven't seen happen yet, but we still get that idea of a, a really dire situation from the very top of the plane's story. It's just, just a smart way to do it. Yeah, and then we even know, like, as soon as we see the destroyer sinking, and then there's that small blue boat right next to it yeah. sinking, and you see that um, Mark Rylance's boat is close by, like, in that moment, you put together, because I think it's the next scene, it shows Tommy and them going to the blue boat. So you, like, put it together that they all end up coming together. Sure. You know, that Tommy is going to be picked up by that boat, and I don't know. It just, it's really, really smart. Absolutely. No, I mean, there's a reason to win the Oscar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, and like how many movies do we come out talking about the editing? So it's got to be good. Exactly. <laughs> and I know I say this a bunch, but like I still like I don't always understand what editing means or directing or how to like pick that out in a movie. But this is one that without the editing, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Like it just wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Any other craft things we want to talk about? Um, I would just say that like probably my favorite shot in the whole movie is the one that's like the screen cap for the trailer, but when it's all the the soldiers on the mole and you hear the the German planes coming and it's just like a domino effect of all of them crouching. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, and that actually brings up there's a couple scenes like that one in the very beginning when they're all on the beach and the planes come and it's just so scary because you see this just open beach and you know these planes are coming and they have nowhere to go yeah like what are you you gonna do hundreds and thousands of men Mm -hmm. and the only thing they can do is fall to the ground and same with that like when they're on the pier they literally can't go anywhere the only thing they can do is duck yeah and hope that it misses them and it's just like that moment is so terrifying to watch 
I can't even imagine what it would be like to experience, but like yeah. even just watching it, like you just feel like you have no control over anything and feel really vulnerable while you're watching it. And it's terrifying. Yeah. I'm a super sucker for like the shot, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Tom Hardy at the end with the plane on fire yeah. and it, the, the reversal that it plays on you though. Cause he, you see him in front of the plane and you're like, Oh, he's alive. That's great. And then you see people coming over the hill. Yeah. Like, and again, the fact that like the idea that like for him, it wasn't okay. And he knew that it wasn't going to be okay. Yeah. I don't know. But yet he still like was so smart with his decisions. Like he burned his plane and like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. That's just such a cool move. And just like standing in front of a burning plane, like now you can't use my plane. Yeah. And you, you can just like, you can just like imagine him like flipping the bird to the Germans as they come <laughs> over the hill. <laughs> and to your point earlier, that is the only time that we see the Germans. Uh-huh. I guess say yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. is when them, they get him. They're yeah. out of focus. They're out of focus. You really see yeah. their faces. Yeah, it's interesting. It's great. Um, yeah, I mean, just like what a what a what an achievement from a cinematography perspective, from a directing perspective, editing, score, performance, all of it. Like so Same many things just came together. Cinematographer as her. Oh really? I just have to say, I have to oh. mention her. I, I think her is slowly turning into my Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That's a perfectly reasonable. Where I need to mention it in every episode. That's fine. Okay. I think I need to watch her again so that I can give it a every 10. time. We're, <laughs> every time that we're pulling the shelf, I always see her and I'm like, oh, we should do her, and then I remember that we did it. Like, <laughs> well, we can't do that. Do a second episode on okay. her. Yeah, sounds good. Just replay the other one. No, he's he's quite accomplished. Um. I looked at his stuff and now I just lost it. Um, let's see. Where are we? Crew. Uh, Michael Cade is in this movie, apparently. Yeah, he's the... He plays the voice of Fortis Leader. That's hilarious. Yeah, when, all the, at the, when you first see the, the Tom Hardy and Collins, it's, they're talking to Michael Cade. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's funny. Um, so Dunkirk is the only thing he's been nominated for, but he's he's filming Tenet, which is great. He filmed Ad Astra, he filmed Dunkirk, Spectre, Interstellar, Her, Tinker Tailor Soldier wow. Spy, which I didn't see. I started it and it was so boring. I oh really? I couldn't. I don't know. Maybe Bummer. I just wasn't into it. He filmed The Fighter, which is great. Um. And he filmed uh, Let the Right One In, mm. which is a great movie. I was That was one of the movies that we watched in October that I was just blown away by how good it was. That's the... Oh, yeah, yeah. I the Little Girl that. Vampire. Yeah. yeah. That movie's it's freaking spectacular. Um, yeah. What else about Dunkirk? I don't know if there's any more. I mean, I've there's always it. more. Hey, I've like, covered everything I want to. It just is such a fantastic movie. And it's it's a shame that it get I feel like it's very heavily underrated, right? Interstellar and Inception and The Dark Knight get all the love. Yeah. Um and that's great because they are fantastic movies. Um this is my second favorite Nolan movie after The Prestige, which I think is just another absolute achievement of filmmaking and storytelling. Um I mean, I I think I get why it doesn't like people don't get the hype of dunkirk it's smaller scale yeah and it's not 
actually a war movie, like we said. So people who love war movies are not going to like Dunkirk. It's a fair point. And then people who don't like war movies might also not like Dunkirk. So yeah, that's a good know, point. Like tough audience. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's just like it's so easy to watch something like Interstellar and just be blown away by it, yeah, right? Yeah. Like even you could watch that movie on mute and just be floored. Yeah. Yeah. And Inception is such an important film in just the american film canon i feel like because it it really introduced a lot of people to some like artsier techniques in filmmaking right like interstellar and inception are just such gateway movies towards more like art film and i respect them for that and i love them for that yeah. Because the more people that could be introduced to film, the better. That's our goal, right? I, that literally is our mission statement as a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Anything else? You want to cover anything else, Sid? No, that's pretty much the big stuff. Kill, kill. 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 Trivia. Trivia. So there were about 30 Dunkirk survivors who went to the premiere. Um, and when they asked if it was um, inaccurate, depiction of it they said that it was but the soundtrack was louder than the actual bombardment and they just said that, like it was so loud for them. <laughs> um let's see um so christopher nolan and his wife producer emma thomas they made the crossing from england to dunkirk on bow and said it took them about 19 hours because of conditions Wow. Yeah. Um, The blind man at the end of the movie is played by Christopher Nolan's uncle, John Nolan, and he has appeared in several of his movies. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the ticking sound that you hear um, was recorded from one of Christopher Nolan's own pocket watch, and then Hans Zimmer um, just manipulated it um, with synthesizers and altered them in different ways. Hans Zimmer is a freaking genius. Really I just is. want to say that one more time. I was looking at what he has coming up, and he's doing, like, Dune, and there was another one, but he was also doing, like, Space Jam 2. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and there was another really weird one. But, yeah, he's great. I love him. Um, oh, so for um, the sound design, Nolan wanted to use a shepherd tone, which is, like, an ascending note where it just feels like it's a never-ending higher pitch. Um, and he wanted to do that um, so that like it felt like in the movie everything is just rising in tension and in suspense. It it's worked. effective. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when he asked about why he cast Harry Styles, um, Nolan said, I auditioned literally thousands of young men and different combinations of young men, and he had it. He also remarks that... Um, he compares Harry Styles to the casting of Heath Ledger in the as the Joker. People because people underestimated both of them. I feel that Harry Styles. Hang on, quick note on that. Harry Styles does kind of kill it here. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He is great. He's really good. Um, everyone, go listen to "Falling and Cherry" by him from his latest album. It's amazing. Is that a song? Yeah. Okay. the The album is fine line, but "Falling and Cherry" are my two favorite on it. So, sorry, just to, to talk on your previous point. Currently in production, Hans Zimmer has the SpongeBob movie, <laughs> Sponge on the Run, Space Jam 2, Dune, Top Gun Maverick, and Wonder Woman 1984. Dune is officially in post-production? 
Is it really? That's what it says here. Wow. Um, yeah, he's all over the place. He did The Lion King, both the original and the remake. He won an Oscar for the original. Oh, wow. Uh, Dark Phoenix. Uh, Widows. Let's see. Blue Planet 2. That's cool. Uh, yeah, Dunkirk. In the same year as Dunkirk, he did The Boss Baby. <laughs> this dude will just take a paycheck, man. What the crap? Hidden figures he did. Um, Batman v Superman. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Interstellar. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Inception. 12 Years a Slave. Man of Steel. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, dude. He's just like. I mean, I'd much rather be a well-known composer and having done like a bunch of crap. Look at movies. these credits, though, man. Holy crap. How do you. How do you pump that out that much music? music? Seriously. Um, let's see. Is he the one? No, he's not. Never mind. Um. Let's see. He was nominated for Oscars for the following films. Uh, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception, Sherlock Holmes, Gladiator, The Prince of Egypt, and The Thin Red Line in the same year. Whoa, wow. As good as it gets, The Preacher's Wife, The Lion King, for which he won an Oscar, and Rain Man. Calm down, Hans. <laughs> I actually really don't like the music in Rain Man. I've never seen Rain Man. It's fine. I, it's mostly, I don't really have a lot of desire to it see it, honestly. It's mostly the music that put me off. It's like a lot of, like, I don't know, like drumming. It feels like, I don't Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Dunkirk. Um, <laughs> so the movie was shot on the actual beach at Dunkirk where the evacuation took place. When they were scouting for the movie, Nolan found a button of an English soldier's uniform. Wow. Um, this is the first Nolan movie to be based on historical events. All the others have been original scripts or based on movies or comics or books, not movies. Um, a large number of cardboard cutouts of soldiers were placed along the beach to create the illusion of thousands of soldiers. Because we don't have computers. Yeah. <laughs> um, around 1,000 extra were used. Um, it says that about 12 um, of the ships who were actually used in the evacuation were used in this as well. That's awesome. Hmm. Um, uh, even though he has top billing, Tom Hardy's face is only seen for a few minutes. He has top billing? Uh-huh. I thought it was Fionn Whitehead. I don't know. Maybe I... That's crazy. I mean, he's up there for sure. Um, Harry Styles had a personal bodyguard on set because of the unwanted attention. Is he? Oh. That's weird. Oh, isn't that? This is like by order of appearance? No, oh. because I don't have any idea. I don't know. IMDb, uh, get your get your crap together. Yeah. IMDb lied to me. Um, This is the first IMAX shot movie to be nominated for an Academy Award. That was one thing that I... Picture. That was one thing I do want to mention. Is that this movie is a little bit more distracting to watch at home versus in the theater because yeah. of the changing aspect ratio. I was a little annoyed by that. It. That jarred me a few times. Yeah. Did you notice that? I actually that? didn't notice it. It would switch yeah. between full screen and having black bars at the top and bottom at different yeah. points. But huh. the other thing more jarring than the black bars was that the color temperature would shift. I didn't really notice the color temperature, but I did notice the aspect. So that was a little bit distracting for me. Yeah. Um, 
So the clock on the soundtrack doesn't stop ticking during the whole movie until Alex and Tommy are sitting safely on the train. And that is all my trivia. That's some good trivia. Thank you. Hmm. All right, Becca, your final thoughts and rating out of 10. To place this movie on the Weston scale, the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10. All right. Well, I don't know how I'm going to rank it yet, so I'm just going to talk until I decide. (laughs) (laughs) That can't go poorly. (laughs) Um, I just... I don't know. Like, I love this movie so much. I agree that I don't think it's a perfect movie, but also I don't think that I would change a single thing about it. Like, I love it just the way it is, and I think it does hopefully exactly what Nolan wanted it to do, and I love that for it. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is that doesn't make it a perfect movie, but... I don't think I would ever give it a 10. So I will give it a a 9.3. Sid? Um, so I feel like mine is probably going to be the most lukewarm of the ratings. Okay. Um, I do really love this movie. Um, I think it's great. Like there, I really can't think of anything wrong with it or anything to be fixed. Um, but for some reason, I, I just didn't like connect with it as much as i've connected with some of his past movies um i'd probably say this like while i didn't connect to it super well i'd probably say this is like my third or fourth favorite of nolan's wow um so i'm gonna give this one 8.9 yeah i love this movie um obviously i'm fairly passionate about it i hope that came across um this one for me 9.5 uh, nine three eight nine nine five puts us right at about a nine two, I think. Sounds right. Which puts this movie in the company of such films as. Oh, this is weird. The Dark Knight Rises. Wow. The Babadook. Parasite. Because of the stupid. Eight point five that somebody felt the need to give Parasite. Who gave it? Austin. Uh-oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite all right though it's that's okay. interesting because i, I definitely think this is a much better film than dark knight rises but the scale doesn't lie the scale does not lie it's okay i, I got rid of austin he he's far away now all because of parasite all because of parasite <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't for that gosh darn 8.5 <laughs> we'd be married right now <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to get into other topics here. This is the section of the podcast where we would talk about other films that we have watched since it's been like five weeks since we recorded. There's a lot. So I think I'm only going to go over the ones that I find most notable mm-hmm. um, and would recommend to people. So let's start at the top. Um, I watched Taxi Driver. I really like that one. I thought it wasn't that great. Really? Yeah. Didn't love it. See... I mean, I'll probably get into it, but I didn't love The Irishman. Ooh. Because with the with the few, um, well, I mean, of the Martin Scorsese ones that I've seen, I much prefer his um, kind of more condensed movies. Sure. I don't really love, like, his biopic ones. Like, um, The Aviator's fine. Um, Gangs of New York is pretty good. I 
I don't know. I just feel like they go a little too crazy and just go too long. That's fair. So I really like Taxi Driver where it's telling about one person over the course of a few months. I'm going to tell you why I didn't like Taxi Driver. Because there's sure. there's two things that I can very clearly point to mm-hmm. that just refused to allow me to become immersed in the film. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a film that you need to be immersed in in order to really yeah. get it. One was the music. I think the music is atrocious. I don't really remember it. It's smooth jazz, saxophone. Oh, okay. Now I'm starting to remember Garbage. It. 70s garbage. Uh-huh. And narration. I, in almost all cases, hate narration. Yeah. Especially when it's taking a character who's fairly interesting and just spelling it out for you. Mm-hmm. Him, you know... Robert De Niro, and especially just because I think specifically Robert De Niro, his strength is not in narration. Like, he's not charismatic. His character does not come through at all. It just feels like Robert De Niro reading you the thoughts of Travis Bickle. Mm -hmm. And I found that really distracting. So those two things just didn't really let me become immersed in the movie, and so I couldn't properly enjoy it. Right. That's that, though. What do you do? Um... We watched uh, Hunger by Steve McQueen. That was rough. That is rough. It was very, what very, a very good. Traumatic film, though. And it would probably make a really good episode. Probably would make a really good episode, but, but nobody's ever seen it, and nobody's gonna see it. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's about very hard to watch. It's about uh, hunger strikes among IRA members in British prisons in the nineties. It stars Michael Fassbender as the leader of a hunger strike. And it deals with um, a lot of the uh, the morality of a hunger strike, um, as well as kind of the consequences of it. You like see him over the last half of the movie just waste away. It it's it's very brutal and it's yeah, very doesn't leave anything to your imagination. Yeah, it shows everything. Like it's it's very traumatizing. Yeah, but very well made. Um, maybe the film that I'm most excited about that I've seen over the last five weeks is called uh, Dawson City Frozen Time. It's a documentary, and it was on some list of the best films of the decade. Some website put out, these are the top 25 films of the decade, and they put it like number four. It's about this city in um, Alaska that uh, it, it was kind of this weird cultural microcosm because it was at the end of the distribution line for a lot of the silent films of the like twenties and thirties and even before then. And so what happened is this was, it was a, it was a mining town. And then as it kind of boomed and then busted, um, it tells kind of the story of this town. But what happened was, um, like I said, it was the end of the distribution line for all of these silent films. And back in the day, obviously you couldn't just like email out a file, right? Like they do today. I, I doubt that's what actually happens, but you know what I mean? Like it had to be film reels taken from place to place. And so a movie would release in, you know, 1923 in New York and they would see it in Dawson city in 1925 because you would have people basically who were tasked with just carrying it across or it would get thrown in with couriers or whatever, right? And with it being the end of the line, a lot of times for film studios, it was more expensive to have them ship the film back than just to have them destroy it. Mm-hmm. And so the instructions a lot of times was just destroy the film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it says at the beginning that it's estimated that like 85% of all silent films have been lost. Wow. Just like straight up. Uh, just because preservation wasn't a concern. One. And two, they were all filmed on nitrate film, which is intensely flammable. Like will just spontaneously combust. Yeah. What happened is um, it, there's this community center that had a swimming pool in it. And they decided to fill in the swimming pool to make the ice rink better because it would like in the winter they'd put an ice rink on top of it so they decided to fill in the swimming pool and they had all of these films that were just being stored that they used as filling for the swimming pool so they didn't have to use as much dirt basically and so you get all this nitrate film of these silent films buried in this swimming pool for 70 years and then in like 2014 they're tearing down the community center to build something else and they see these this this film sticking out of the ground and so they call around to some museums in canada and basically do this excavation project of all of this film stock and they have film stock going back to like 1890 and so like the film is just interspersed with uh these clips of silent films that uh, until they were found were just like totally and completely lost and so they tell the story of this town through the lens of these silent films and it, it switches between there's you know there's there's documentaries and there's dramas and there's comedies and like that's how the news was distributed back then was just on film reels and so you have like you know news of the titanic and of world war one and all these things and so, like I said, the story of this town is just told through the lens of these silent films. And it's it's fascinating. And it's so, so, so well done. And I'm intensely glad that somebody put, I don't remember what site it was, somebody put it on their list of films of the decade. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll check it out. So I sat down and watched it. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. Mind-blowing. So good. Very, very highly recommend. Anybody who is even remotely into any form of documentary filmmaking, uh, Dawson City, Frozen Time absolutely worth a watch uh we went and saw knives out which is great yeah high, it was really fun yeah, it's high, really high fun. recommendation um and then said we can talk about it now if you want the irishman okay i loved it i liked it i think like thinking about it in the past few weeks after i watched it i don't know maybe it's just because like i don't love like for some reason goodfellas really works for me I have not seen Goodfellas. That one, I do really like that one. And it kind of goes against some of the things that I like have previously said. It's more of like a long drawn out, but I don't know. It feels... See, I'm not entirely sure like what works and what doesn't work for Martin Scorsese for me. Um, but yeah, like I did really like some aspects of The Irishman. I thought the performances were great. I think I just, I don't know, was kind of lost on, like, the internal politics of it or just wasn't totally into it for all three and a half hours because it is Sure. Yeah, it's very, very long. long. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, I, like I, it's, I didn't hate it. I did like it, but it just, like, wasn't my favorite of his. I would say I was probably 40% sold on it for the film itself and about 60% sold on it exclusively for Joe Pesci. He is fantastic in it. Like, absolutely just a mind-blowing performance yeah. from him. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We watched Good Time again, which is great. Yes. It was um, I sat down and watched Antichrist. Oh, no. Yeah. How are you feeling? Oh, I feel great. No. Um, Admittedly... I knew the more traumatic scenes 
before they happened. So I actually did close my eyes at certain points because there were just certain things I didn't feel like seeing in that movie. But I, it, it, and I, I feel this way after every single Lars von Trier movie that I watch. I wish that he wasn't such a provocateur. Like, I'm fine with it. Like, be out there. But he is such a compelling filmmaker. Just the things that he does with a camera, the images that he conjures, the ideas that he has are so unique. And I just want more of them. But I have to, like, really consider every time that I want to sit down and watch a Lars von Trier movie because I know that it's going to depress me and disturb me. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly the way I felt coming out of this. Is I was like, that was visually stunning. Mm-hmm. Like, and the performances are magical. He's able to get performances out of people that are just crazy. But then I'm like, did you really have to smash his testicles? You know what I mean? Like, was that really necessary? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Freaking incredible, though. Don't recommend it to anybody. But it was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see. This one is another high, high, high recommend. The Raid. Oh, I've heard that one so good. It, it, go watch it tonight. I, I want to watch that one so good. If you're, if you're at all in a bummer mood ever in your life, okay. just watch The Raid. I've like seen clips of it and it just looks so awesome. Spectacular. The okay. stunts in this thing. Yeah. Just, oh my gosh. It's about a, it takes place in uh, Indonesia and it's about a SWAT team raiding a crime lord's apartment building. And it goes about as well as you'd expect. It's just incredible. Um, we went and saw Honey Boy. That was amazing. Did you see I, that? Yeah, I really, really liked that one. I loved it so much. I have such a hard time talking about Honey Boy because this is what I told Becca afterwards is like the film just felt voyeuristic to me. I felt oh. like I shouldn't be seeing it. Yeah. It was just like Shia LaBeouf having a two hour very public therapy yeah. session. Yeah. Austin um, wrote a Medium article about it and it's just like Ooh. we talked about it. It just feels so vulnerable and it's just like he's just like putting out like all this crappy stuff that he did and like he's telling about all the crappy stuff his dad did and it just feels very real but at the same time it comes across as very compassionate he Mm. doesn't like villainize or demonize his dad at all it's it's such a complicated like emotionally complicated film yeah like yeah he's just able to get his own head out into a film yeah and that's super impressive so good and just like with him playing his own dad yeah and like the lucas hedges and noah jupe playing him incredible incredible so good yeah honey boy high recommend yeah um we watched the master which we can't talk about because sid hasn't seen it no but talk about it some other time i loved it obviously (laughs) i didn't hate it it just i don't know it didn't resonate with me the way it did for andrew it was just fine Mm -hmm. for me yeah, uh, we watched Marriage Story, oh, so which good. is phenomenal, yeah, and soul crushing, yes, and intensely dist- like intensely depressing, yes, so good. Uh, Adam Driver and Scar Jo both frontrunners for best actor and actress, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, I watched Heaven Knows What, which is the Safdie brothers movie before Good Time. Mm. It's about heroin. About as depressing as you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> they sure do have a knack of. Just making they do, sad. but it's even more raw than Good Time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but quite good. Um, and finally, the last one I want to mention is that I watched Climax. How was that? I have no idea. <laughs> I 
I don't know that I've ever been more baffled by a film experience than I have by Climax. Isn't it just like a bunch of dancers get spiked with like... LSD. Yeah. Yes. And then they just dance? Well, uh, yes and no. That's like the first 40 minutes. Well, the first 40 minutes is without LSD. They're dancing. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the, compositionally, the film is so interesting because it starts out on this big, gigantic, long take of them doing their dance performance. Yeah. And it's phenomenal and stunning and so well done. And then uh, the take continues to them kind of chatting for a bit. And then it cuts to this like 30 minute sequence of there's just various conversations going on and you cut between the different conversations. So you get little bits and pieces as they go Mm -hmm. of the different dancers talking about each other. Mm -hmm. And that goes on for about 30 minutes. Uh And then the last 45 minutes or so is just another single take. I mean, I'm sure it's multiple, but edited yeah. together, right? But point being, it's this one single take, and it, they go through this dance studio that they're in, and each different section is lit differently, so you get different vibes from each one, but you just see like them as human beings just like completely unravel, like morally, sexually, uh, violently, like they just completely come undone as people, and it gets really disturbing. Not like super, super graphic, but like really disturbing, really just like hard hitting stuff. And, but it also like at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's saying anything. Yeah. Like everybody, I've never seen a Gaspar Noé film before, but from reading about him, the kind of consensus is that he's just a troll. He's kind of like a Lars von Trier, but probably with less to say. <laughs> and <laughs> like, lots of neon. Yeah. Right. right. Um, so he, So this film doesn't feel like it has anything to say. And so like a lot of the really hard to watch stuff just like hits, but then like doesn't go anywhere. Like at least with Lars von Trier, it's like, yeah, he's saying something with his intensely disturbing things. But like here, it's just like, no, this is just hard to watch for the sake of being hard to watch. But at the same time, he's just laughing at you because he's made this visually stunning film that is such a joy to watch. But the things that are happening are so disturbing and hard to watch. So like you want to look away, but you also don't want to miss anything at the same time. It's such a baffling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch the first 40 minutes again in a heartbeat. The last half. I don't know. <laughs> Very glad I watched it though. Yeah. It's on Amazon. Anybody who's interested. That's one that like I've heard some good things about it but also like it looks very weird it's super weird like i just don't know if i would enjoy watching it you know like i'm just, like i've heard it's a great sure. movie yeah, i don't know that i enjoyed done. watching it but yeah i just don't know if i would enjoy it so like i said i'm very glad that i did i don't know that i'm itching to do it again yeah <laughs> those are all of the noteworthy movies that i've watched in the last five weeks uh-huh. and me too because all the movies i've watched i've watched with you <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so a few that I've watched. Uh, I watched Master and Commander, Ooh, Far Side of the World. Mr. Uh, Crow. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was, it was slower than I expected. Um, had I, you seen it before? No. Um, we had watched um, the f- like the opening scene in my film class. I think we were talking about editing. And like this has been on my list for this year. Um, so I've been wanting to Are watch it. Are you really it. only an M? It's, I'm struggling this it's year. It's December. I am, I'm doing better. I think I'm at the T's. Like, I know it's, okay. it's going to okay. spill over into next year. That's fine. I've got like 17 left. But That's like not so bad. Three of them are the Godfather, so. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah so we watched the opening scene in my film class and i was just like this is amazing like and i i had to watch it like as soon as i could and i did really like it it was just i don't know i think the opening was just like so good for me that the rest of it didn't quite measure up um and then uh we watched hunt for the wilder people um amazing movie i love that movie so much that's climbing my list as far as priorities go of what to watch no child left behind you don't understand okay it's so good um rewatched it's a wonderful life movie's amazing i love it i cried great all around um i watched lives of others Ooh, very good i love that movie it's very very good one thing that like i feel like i need to start doing with um any foreign film that i watch is to kind of like research the background because like i understand kind of the cultural context yeah, of it yeah, I yeah, yeah for somewhat sure understand i just like don't really know like what exactly like these certain terms mean like i wasn't sure if um the artist was a good guy or like if he was like on the bad side sure yeah um but i still really really liked it and that's kind of how it was for um the end that ending is killer oh my the gosh. very very ending oh, it's he so walks good. into the bookstore it's killer oh my gosh so good um yeah, and then I saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It was, I mean, like if you, Christmas break, you don't really have any other movies to watch. I'd say it's fine. Um, I don't know. I just don't know anything about Mr. Rogers. Um, <laughs> and me and Austin finished season two of Fargo. It was so good. The ending of season two is so nutty. I just, like, thinking back to it i'm just like that doesn't make any sense no it doesn't it absolutely doesn't they don't mention anything really about it but it's just like there and you accept it and you love it if you want to watch the show becca we got to watch fargo all right you would you would appreciate it now now. we started watching it before you were appreciative of art it was like right when i was home from my mission oh yeah that's true yeah (laughs) yeah um have you seen the third season i have not yeah it's on netflix right uh hulu hulu okay but yeah season two so it's just like freaking ted danson i would do anything for him and that's where i fell in love with jesse plemons yeah was that actually breaking bad started it and then that finished it Mm -hmm. and then also kirsten dunst Uh i I saw her in that before i saw her in like melancholia Uh or anything really serious and i was Uh like she's got chops um yeah she's also great i talked about it a few months ago but in drop dead gorgeous she's Hmm. very good in that got another incredible accent in that movie um yeah, Fargo was so good. And I want to watch the third season. I wonder if it's any good, though. Anyway. Right on. Lots of stuff going on. Right on. All right. Anything else to talk about, guys? I don't think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, be, we're, we'll probably take next week off, just because it's Christmas, I would assume. Yep. But then we'll be back at you. At that point, I should have been able to, I think... Well, we can discuss. We might be back with our year end or we might take another week, depending on if people still have movies they want to see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, from all of us here at We Watch Movies and Talk About Them, to all of you, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and we thank you for listening. Um, we truly do appreciate it. This is something that we do for fun. It's a labor of love, but we appreciate anybody who takes the time to uh, listen to us. We apologize for being less active recently than uh, we have been in the past, but holidays make things uh, a bit nasty for us as far as scheduling goes. And as much as we love to do this, uh, family comes first and yes. jobs that pay us. Yes. 
But we love you all. We appreciate you all. We thank you all. We'll see you on the next one. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. Bye-bye. Bye.